season two of Hot Off the Pod. We are incredibly excited to be here today, kicking off a new series, spotlighting the recent KCSB and Daily Nexus collab project, Unmasking Isla Vista. We are super excited to be part of the project, of course, in our own special way. And today we're bringing you the voices behind the words. So some of the Nexus reporters and the KCSB news team has been working their butts off on this project. So we're excited to sit down with them over the next few weeks and get a glimpse behind the magic. Yeah, they are some of the most engaged students in our community. They're they're on the front lines reporting on all this stuff day to day. (laughs) Um, And so we're really excited to listen to some of their opinions, force them a little bit out of their comfort zones. (laughs) Only a little, just a little. Make them take their reporter caps off for a minute and uh, chat with us about their own opinions on this project and, and the topics discussed. Yeah, so just to give a little breakdown, Unmasking Isla Vista is, in their own words, a collaborative multimedia series documenting the ways in which UC Santa Barbara and the Isla Vista community have had to adjust almost all aspects of their life to help mitigate the spread of COVID-19. And today we are going to be focusing on two topics covered in the project, human struggle and university and students. And we're kicking off with human struggle. I think one of the most important aspects of what has been happening over this first year. So I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) Totally, totally. So our guests are Jennifer Yoshikoshi, third year anthropology major and a KCSB reporter, and Asumi Shuda, a second year poli-sci major and also an assistant news editor with us at the Nexus. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi, guys. Let's kind of take it back almost over a year now right which is insane to think about oh god don't say that and let's take it back to the beginning of the pandemic obviously a huge part of this human struggle aspect of unmasking isla vista is this talk around mental health and how mental health has been impacted by the pandemic and so i wanted to talk a little bit about what each of us kind of experienced with the onset of this pandemic and i can go first i remember i was a freshman living in the dorms i remember sitting on my on my bed in the dorm with one of my friends who lived down the hall and getting that email saying we were all moving out and that we should do it as soon as we can and that we might not be coming back after winter break and just packing my whole dorm room up in like the span of three hours and leaving. And that was insane. That was a lot of stress. It was like kind of hectic. Um, We didn't really know how seriously to take it at that point, I think, but it felt crazy to just be like uprooting my college life. I hadn't even had a full year of college and move back home, which was not where I wanted to be, but kind of where I had to be for a little bit. And that sucked for a little bit. (laughs) Sucked is the (laughs) understatement of the year. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that the moving home part at the beginning, I was kind of like, adventure, like, this is fun. No finals. Okay. And then the longer I was home, the worse it got. And then I think for me, the moment where I really was like, man, this is going to take a toll on my brain for a bit, was when my study abroad for the next fall got canceled. I was supposed to be in Italy. And I think that for the beginning of the pandemic, that was really like something to hold on to. Like, oh, this is all going to be okay as long as I make it to Italy. And when that got canceled, Mm. you know, and we're going to talk about this a bit later about how, you know, we kind of put our stress on the back burner as these traumatic and, and crazy events are going on. But um, yeah, for me, that was the moment where I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I was 
when the pandemic first hit, I was still a, a senior in high school. So I actually just finished, I think, midterms. And I was looking forward to like Dish Day and like senior prom and like all these different events. And it was like, finally the second semester senior year was starting. And then I got the phone call that like school was canceled for two weeks. And I was like, oh cool, it's like an extended uh, spring break. And then I realized that it wasn't (laughs) spring break. It was like a couple months, more than a year. And I just remember like, it it was kind of heartbreaking just because like we couldn't get prom, we couldn't, my graduation was a drive-through like we just right. drove in my car <laughs> through campus and I like took a picture in front of like this uh cardboard poster thing and that was it and I was out and I was like wow I just graduated <laughs> with this diploma I don't know it was crazy and then like this whole summer I was also like that that whole summer it was last summer and like, I don't know I just felt like I lost a lot of things just because mm. but at the same time there was no one to blame you know mm. what I mean like I was so angry that like I lost all these different things. I lost like my first year in college and like all these different things, but then there's no one to blame because that my whole grade was going to do the exact same thing. So yeah, it was frustrating, but I also think like in the broad aspect of things, like I think I was able to like self-reflect and like all these different like personal things. So I wouldn't say it wasn't the worst experience of my life, but it wasn't the best (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For me, I was a first year and I, was about to take my finals and then I got like the announcement that like oh like my finals are canceled and me being from like the Bay Area I don't get to go home like as often like just over certain breaks and so I was like oh great like Mm -hmm. I get to go home early and see my family and my friends back home and so I remember once all my finals were announced that they were canceled I like looked up a ride share to get a ride back home and then I got it and then on that day um my friends were already planning to like have like a birthday celebration for me because I was going to leave the next day and my birthday was the week of finals (laughs) and so I left Isla Vista like hanging out with my friends for the last time they surprised me with like a dinner at a restaurant and it was just really nice but yeah like I was looking forward to going home and then I got home and did spring quarter online and that was really tough for me yeah and I didn't really know how the environment of where you're learning really affects how you're taking in information, how you're learning in your classes, but remote learning was definitely a struggle. Totally. And I I think actually we wanted to talk a little bit about that shift to online school because for me, I felt like everything just got kind of monotonous and like everything was the same and nothing really felt like, it didn't feel like school to me. I just kind of like, my English class felt the same as my poli-sci class. Like I was posting discussion forums that I didn't really know what I was saying half of the time. And that sucked because I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd and I like school and all of a sudden I was not enjoying it. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot take quizzes online for some reason. Tess, okay. Quizzes, bad like when they're 10 questions long and you're just clicking little bubbles on the screen and it's like green or red I'm like it's fun it's a game I felt like everything just felt like it was optional you know like watching lectures taking exams everything I think the only thing that felt like it was required was when I actually went on zoom but even zoom was like a conversation type thing yeah no totally feel that um and I think also just our reliance mm-hmm. on our computers has increased so much during the pandemic. And there's so many negative effects 
uh, from that, especially on your mental health and on your brain and on your eyes and on your body and all those good things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely doesn't help when you're, you have to go to school through your computer and, and, you know, some people just didn't have access to good Wi-Fi or or computers and that severely impacts your ability to learn and, and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, I'll say on a, like a real note, I get pretty bad migraines as it is. And the shift to virtual learning was horrible at first because it was like I'm staring at a screen every day like my eyes hurt and I'm getting migraines more frequently than I would be which is just it sucks but I mean I'm privileged enough that I had wi-fi to get to my classes and that I was in a time zone where I could didn't have to wake up at like three in the morning to come to zoom lecture you know like all of that is incredibly stressful especially on like mental health and I mean I felt it take its toll just in like that small way so I can only imagine yeah I I had like international students in my classes that were in waking up at like 3 a.m to be in class and I felt so bad like I thought waking up at nine was kind of early but then I don't know how they're going to class like in the middle of the night and so I'm I definitely feel a little bit more privileged to have that Wi-Fi connection, be in the right time zone and everything. Even the like the privilege of having your own room is mm. like a, com- it's a complete game changer. Like I would be in class and I have the privilege of having my own room. So I have my own private space to take my classes. But I had like peers who they would like their parents will be walking in the background. They'll just be like background noise constantly. They'll be like mm-hmm. their siblings running around. And it's just it's a completely different environment and like imagine learning and it's like learning in your home and I remember a TA of mine actually said something that was like when you're on zoom in class you're sharing a part of your home with your classmates and that can also feel like an invasion of privacy sometimes Mm -hmm. so I feel like there's just a lot of different aspects that we kind of have to consider when it comes to how the pandemic affected us yeah totally and I I feel like I was pretty lucky in the teachers and the TAs and the professors that I had in that everyone was pretty lenient and pretty understanding of like you know if you couldn't have your camera on or like stuff like that it was very much especially the further we got into the pandemic it was very much like okay like do what you can but I know so many people of it at other schools or like had other experiences where their professors would be like you need to be well lit your camera needs to be on like there needs to be no background noise and that's an insane thing to ask of students especially when like you don't have a you have a shared space or you maybe don't have good wi-fi connection or you like have a loud house like it's so many more things to have to worry about than like showing up to a lecture hall sitting down and taking notes yeah also as someone who really struggles with like embarrassment or even just like not wanting that attention on you in your class while you're trying to learn like Zoom can really make it feel like every single person in your class is staring Mm. at you, watching what your facial expressions are doing while you're trying to sit and listen to your professor. And I think that's a lot of stress. Like in a lecture hall, you're everyone's looking in one direction, you know, and it's not at each other usually. And I think that um, that for me was a really stressful part about being on Zoom. Yeah, the fact that you can see yourself is insane. I'm so conscious of what I look like in Zoom class because I'm like, I have to look at me too now, which is like not something at all that I had to worry about before, I think. Yeah, oh my God, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, it is very weird that we all (laughs) sit and stare at our own faces all day. We also wanted to kind of pose this big question. We love big questions. (laughs) Um, but do you guys feel like students and yourselves have been taking better care of your mental health and, 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 you know, because of the pandemic, 
I think for me, maybe I did become a little bit more aware of taking care of myself, my body, just because I think with remote learning, I also had more free time. It wasn't like I was on campus. I had to be in different lecture halls and go to sections at certain times, like running around. I had that free time, like in between just in my apartment. I just have to run over to my computer once class starts. I just had a lot of more free time to think of maybe I can go on a run, maybe I can read a book, maybe I can just relax for a little bit. So in my opinion, I think I'm a little bit more aware of my like mental health and like health in general. I think I would answer that question with a yes and no, and more emphasis on the no. But I feel like, like I said before, the pandemic really made me do a lot of self-reflection on like, not just my physical health, but also my mental health, my emotional health, seeing if I'm taking care of myself and if I'm like, in the right headspace to take classes and hang out with people. And personally, I'm more of an extrovert and like I get my energy off of feeding off of other people's energy. And I really realized that during the pandemic because like the only social interaction I got in the initial months of the pandemic was through Zoom and like through online games and stuff. And it was like, I never realized that that is a completely different thing from like physically being with someone. Like I'm someone who like feeds off other people's vibes. So it's like, And I couldn't do that through a computer. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll speak from a personal standpoint. I think that quarantine has just taught me how bad I was doing at taking care of my mental health, which is not a great thing to admit. But I think that it got to a point where I was like, oh, I need to be caring about this, which I'm thankful that I was able to recognize that and like get into an upward spiral like I feel like now nearing the end of quarantine I'm in such a different place than I was at the beginning of it and that's a great thing to have had to learn even if I had to learn it a hard way I think collectively it's 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 cool to see that I think mental health is being talked about a lot more and it's being focused on a lot more and I think a lot of that is because so many of us kind of went through this collective traumatic experience and now we're all trying to take care of ourselves in the aftermath. So, I mean, maybe a silver lining that we're seeing is this new focus and care around it. And we actually talked about this in the piece that we wrote for Human Struggle, but like, I feel like isolation was such a significant aspect of mental health. And yeah, like if you were more of an introvert or like someone who likes to spend more alone time, I think the isolation, if anything, like helped because then you could like spend more time with yourself and take care of yourself. But then you know, when you're isolated, it's like a completely different experience, like not being able to interact with people. And I think I read somewhere that like a a person can only be completely alone for a certain amount of time before they lose their mind. And I was like, oh, it makes me think of all those studies they've done on like solitary confinement and how bad that is for people's health. Like, yeah. I mean, I like that you're bringing it back to Unmasking Isla Vista because as part of this project, you guys and reporters actually talk to people who are uniquely involved and privy to how COVID-19 was directly impacting students and community members. And so one of the interviews that was done for this piece, for the human struggle piece, was with Janet Osimo of UCSB's Counseling and Psychological Services, CAPS. And this is what she had to say about the lasting impacts of the pandemic on mental health. What we're also anticipating is just in general that just the chronic stress of a pandemic of isolating and disappointments and changing of plans and what have you mm-hmm. is going to have this accumulative effect. So we anticipate that students who could normally 
um, handle a setback or an obstacle, well, many can, that there might be sort of an overreaction to an obstacle that they might run into. They might be reacting in a way that they normally don't just because of the accumulation of the stress from the pandemic. What do you think the lasting impacts are going to be? Like, do you guys think that this is going to take its toll on us for years to come? I feel like subconsciously, yes. I mean, like, if you really think about it, I mean, this is really random, but like social media, I feel like I've been using a lot more during the pandemic, right? And like, because of that, that actually affected a lot of my personality. And I didn't realize that until like very recently, because I learned a lot about like even mental health and like other things like gender and sexuality and like all these different things like from social media. And like, that will definitely impact me for years to come because it's like things I've learned. And also just like subconsciously, like now I feel like my social skills definitely went downhill a lot more than prior. And like, that will also affect me long term. Yeah, I definitely felt that social awkwardness when I first saw my friends after spending so much time doing online learning and just just not seeing anyone in general in person. The first time I hung out with somebody, it just felt a little off. Like I forgot how to interact with anyone. Totally. Um, and also, side note, I heard that Asumi is TikTok famous. Well, I almost feel like TikTok became like a coping mechanism for people during the pandemic, like especially at the beginning, like getting up and doing a silly dance and recording yourself and sharing it with people. Like, I really think it was a way that people were connecting with their families and just like Mm -hmm. connecting with other people at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, it was funny to see TikTok go from being collectively shit on by our generation to like totally embraced. Like that's one of those things. And I feel like social media in general, like we became so reliant on. I mean, I feel like everyone did find something that helped them cope with the situation that was going on. And and we had to, you know, like you couldn't cope by sitting in front of the news every night. That's the opposite of coping. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I feel like on a slightly more serious note, I also feel like it's had this huge like impact on maybe not my year, but the year or two above me on just like careers and like getting jobs and like academics. Like I know so many people who are a little older than me who are maybe taking a fifth year because they want to stick around and like have an in-person experience next year or they need to finish up units that they just like couldn't do last year because it was an insane time. So I feel like it's caused this lag almost in like people jump starting into their careers after college too. Yeah. And I think the longer it's gone on, the more I have interacted with people who I've never met in person, who I now see on Zoom on a regular basis. Like I think at the beginning, you you only Zoomed with people that like you had met before in person. And so there was some sort of rapport that existed. And now we've all had to learn how to like introduce ourselves to new people through zoom and through email and through all these new mediums and you know it really shifts how you interact with your job how you interact with your classmates and all those things and I think it's really allowed people to have a little bit of space to think like am I enjoying what I'm doing right now I feel like social media also just like it kind of brought to light all the different social issues that like our society in general has been ignoring like Black Lives Matter, all these like right now, Afghanistan and like Palestine and all these like different issues that are like happening. And it's just like things that we didn't really understand and like things that weren't in like the general education. Like I didn't know all my, the history that I learned in high school was very mainstream, taught by one person and taught by one perspective. 
And I think that also in a way it like made me very aware, but also like, I think in a way it like impacted my mental health because I'm like, am I doing enough? Like are other people doing enough? Am I supposed to keep all my friends accountable? Like what's considered being accountable? Like all these different questions come up. And yeah, so I think that's just another aspect, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I feel like social media really brought everyone together into its own community. And I think with everything being online, everyone's being like quarantined, social media really, like the social media usage really increased and that kind of brought people to learn more about international issues and just societal issues that people never really talked about or really made apparent in our society. And so I think it just, it brought everyone together in a good way. So we've been talking a little bit about the start of the pandemic, but obviously it's still going on. So fast forwarding a little bit to the present, I mean, what do you guys think is going to be the effect on mental health if, God forbid, school ends up getting canceled again for the fall and we have to continue doing online school? Or, you know, like Janet said in the clip, things plans keep having to get changed because things are going a bit back and forth right now because of delta oh well first knock on wood knock on wood on that please (laughs) i mean god forbid if that actually happens i I don't even want to imagine it's kind of sad i feel like because of everything that happened my expectations for things are just like so low now to the point that like nothing will probably surprise me anymore but i mean to the people who are listening, get vaccinated if you haven't gotten vaccinated. Because basically, main people who are getting severely affected by the Delta variant are people who are not vaccinated. So get vaccinated. Oh my God. Say it again. Say it again. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. I swear. But I feel like almost those low expectations are a coping mechanism in and of themselves. I feel like they're a way to cope with all these changing plans and to kind of prepare yourself for the worst looking into the future and looking at school opening back up, we're going to once again listen to Dr. Osimo about what it might look like when we start up again. As there is any year um, when folks are coming to campus, there's sort of the honeymoon period and excitement of newness and such. And I think that might be more magnified. There's a sense of wanting to make up for last lost time. I expect to see a lot of students joining organizations, signing up for things, maybe that they would not have previously, just to, so that sense of sort of pent up demand of, of wanting to connect with others. I mean, right off the bat, I want to say that I extremely disagree with her on this. I just don't see a honeymoon period happening. I mean, even when we were starting to kind of come out of quarantine at the beginning of the summer, I think people were so hesitant. No one knew what was the right thing to do. The guidelines that were being put out by the administration and by the CDC weren't clear on what was okay, what wasn't. And I think people are so used to being at home. Like, I don't think people are ready to just jump in with two feet. I think we're going to kind of inch back to normal life, if anything. I don't know if anyone wants to debate me on this. I mean, I'll speak from personal experience. This whole year, I felt like I really missed. I just didn't get to do the things that I wanted to do, like academically or like career-wise and personally. And so I feel like a lot of the a lot of the things I did this year, I did to set up so that 
when we did end up going back, I could just jump back in and get to have a college experience. Like I, I feel like all of the clubs and organizations and things that I got involved in was very much so that someday in the future when I get to go in person and I get to go back in the office and do these things and put on these events and go to activities, like I will have that waiting for me and I will get to just jump back in and do that. And I think that a lot of people are really excited for that. I think like concerts and music reopening like people are buying tickets to go see people like festivals are reopening and that those those are doing super well like people are flocking to those because I think people are after so much time lacking anything getting to have those experiences again people are really excited for and I think we should be cautious like I hope we inch back into inch back into real life just for safety wise but I do think people want to get there if that makes sense yeah, I feel like there are definitely people who are inching toward it. Because I think there's a lack of trust that like citizens have with the government, with like the CDC guidelines. They can say it's okay, but is it really okay? Because that's what they were saying at the beginning of the pandemic and look where we are now, you know? So I think there's a lot of caution, but also like what Emily was saying, it's there's still a lot of tension and like people wanting to like go out and like just try to make up for the lost time that they just lost. And I'm trying to find the happy meeting in between both of those because I think it's a little bit difficult because I do want to have fun, but I also don't want to get the variant. Living in Isla Vista and doing remote learning, I saw a lot of people still partying like it was a normal day in Isla Vista. And, you know, there's some people that have that caution about COVID and health, but then there's that other half that's just looking to party, looking to have fun, kind of get away from all the COVID, even though you should still pay attention to it. But yeah, there's that divide of people that are completely avoiding like interactions, trying to stay safe and others that are just trying to have fun. It's a tricky situation to navigate, I think, because I think I think we hit like a weird sweet spot maybe like a couple months ago when people were vaccinated and Delta was maybe a little more on the horizon than it is now. And people were like, oh, okay, we can go out now. Like, let's celebrate. Let's go out. And then now I feel like it's a different spot where we're like, we need to be careful still. So I feel like we've come a little bit of a long way. And navigating that really tricky balance of like okay we're in a different spot than we were at the beginning of the pandemic we're a little safer now we're vaccinated that does mean something but also like keeping that caution around us is really it's hard to figure out I think I think that this whole going back into the cave thing though is just not good for anyone's brain like I just cannot comprehend that we're moving backwards and I think that you know, when we were at the beginning of the summer, we were kind of finally able to take a breath and kind of think, you know, reflect on the last year, feel like we're kind of reaching the end. And I think that now it's getting worse. It's almost like you have to deny and deny and deny what's actually happening. And that's so dangerous for people's health because people are getting sick. People are dying still. And that denial that I think is saving a lot of people's mental health is also contributing to the rising cases. It's like when you take a test and then you're like, oh, I failed it. Then if you actually fail it, it's like, I knew. No worries. No problem. You know, we're still in the pandemic. We're still feeling all these stresses that the pandemic is causing right now today. And so I don't really feel like any of us are really understanding the full impact of all of that on our brains. And I don't think we're really going to be able to comprehend it until we have a minute to just sit 
and reflect fully. And and we haven't gotten that many, even at the beginning of the summer. I think when that happens, we're in a place where we've learned that mental health is a little more important and that we're all going through the same stuff, I think is such a powerful thing to remember. And I think whenever I talk to people about the stuff that we've experienced this year, it's such a universal experience. And I, it's always like, oh yeah, me too. Like, and that's so validating and so affirming to have. Um, and so I think the more we're able to talk about that and the more we're able to relate to each other, uh, the easier we'll be able to get through everything. Which is why we need to get through it by getting vaccinated. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Bringing it full circle. Can we do some get vaccinated ASMR? Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. vaccinated. <laughs> and like, not just like you get vaccinated. Tell like your friends who aren't vaccinated mm-hmm. to get vaccinated. Tell your, your family. Your family. Everyone. Like have those difficult conversations at the dinner table. Tell them to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Like honestly. That's is that is what's gonna get our asses out of this pandemic. Yeah, I feel like that's gonna be our running theme of our of this series. Probably is get vaccinated. I can call it already. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I think that it's something really common if students have been living in IV during the pandemic, which is the forming of this uh, quarantine bubble. Um, with your friends, you know, that you're living with, obviously IV is super packed. And so it's not realistic that everyone is going to be able to quarantine from one another completely if you're living in, in town. Um, so I think that a lot of friend groups of friends have made little quarantine bubbles of people who, who only hang out with one another during the pandemic to, in an effort to, to stay sane and also to stay safe. Um, and I think Janet also brings up this idea of, you know, are we going to, kind of go through a divorce with these friends are we going to not know how to relate to new friends because we've only been ever with these old friends um so just wanted to get your guys's take on that idea as well I absolutely agree I mean like just for context I have this one friend group that I've been if they're listening to it this is this right now shout out to them but I've been like their friends for like a really long time and during the pandemic we've all just been together and we just kind of it was like an unspoken promise to like only hang out with each other so that we don't spread it to other people and that it was that and then like my partner and it was just like those two like main things and then but I don't know I think there was also like a lot of guilt in that because I was thinking I mean I'm still hanging out with people like what if I just happened to catch uh COVID in the grocery store and I happened to spread it to my group and they happened to spread to like their parents and it was like this constant fear so in the end I was like wondering yeah it does help me like gain my social skills back and like interact with people but that also causes me like anxiety constantly because I'm thinking am I giving it to somebody so it's just like you know a balance I guess give and take yeah I totally relate to that feeling of like guilt I know that I worked in person for a lot of COVID because I had to pay rent and that's just what it was I worked with kids in an elementary school and so it was it was, I would know kids who would go home for 10 days because one of their family members had tested positive. And thank God I never got it. Like I never spread it to anybody in my house, but I live with like three or four roommates. And it was always like, oh my God, I feel so bad every day coming home, maybe having COVID. It was just this constant stress. And I feel like that definitely for everybody who was working in person or who had that as an extra stressor in their life, it was just a totally just new layer of stress. I definitely feel that with you, Emily, because I also worked with kids 
last summer and this summer, like both throughout COVID. And I remember there was a whole classroom that had to quarantine and they just had to leave school because there was one case of COVID. And it wasn't my classroom, but then I suddenly felt really scared that I also got it. And, you know, like at some point I was like, maybe I should quit. Maybe I should just stay at home and not be working. But then like, I need the money, you know? Yeah, and just worrying about bringing it home to my parents and then them not being able to work. It just, that guilt was insane throughout all of working and through COVID. Still now too. Like the fact that people have to like choose between their health and money is absolutely insane. Like I can't, it's, I feel like that's like an ongoing conversation of like, do I risk getting COVID to get money or do I not get COVID but not make money? It's like, I can't like that. That's not a choice someone should make. And it's like really, really disappointing that that's like a reality that a lot of people face. Yeah. And and we haven't even touched on the stress that a lot of people have had to face, you know, due to parents losing jobs or other family members losing jobs or or themselves losing jobs during the pandemic, which has been a huge thing. Um, And and just like the economic crisis that has been ongoing during all of this, um, which we will be covering in our local businesses and essential workers segment of this project, which we are including in a in a upcoming episode. I think with that, this was great. Thank you, Jennifer and Asumi, for talking with us a little bit today. Um, this felt very cathartic and like I got something off of my chest. So I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And we really appreciate the hard work that you guys did for this project. And we encourage everyone listening to go check it out. We are going to be right back with the second part of this episode where we're going to be talking about university and students. Thanks, guys. We are going to be switching gears now and focusing on unmasking Ilavista's university and student segment. So we're going to take a bit of a look at not only how the university responded to all of the challenges that the pandemic introduced, but how students were also left to grapple with the responses to how the university responded. I also just have to mention that we are recording in our back cave in our Nexus office now. Um, and I wish you guys could see how funky cool this place is. But if there is a bit of an echo or we sound louder than normal, that is why. Um, and we're also here today with Ashley Rush, fourth year internal news director at KCSB, and Sindhu Andavale, second year assistant news editor with the Nexus. And we're going to dive into it today together. So say hey, guys. Hey, I'm super excited to be here in this bat cave in the back of the Nexus. I haven't been here like since freshman year. I was just telling Melanie and Emily. So it's super cool to be back. Same. I'm extremely pumped. I've been here like once before, but no recordings in here ever. So this is my yeah. first time. The bat cave is kind of a funky spot. It definitely is. There are many a penis on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. (laughs) No, but we haven't been here a lot this year because obviously we all transitioned to virtual learning this year. And I don't know about you guys, but virtual learning kind of sucked for me. I I am fully in support that we did not go to in-person classes this year, but there was a lot of challenges to virtual learning and remote learning. I guess let's talk about it a little bit. How did, how did you guys feel about remote learning? 
Yeah, I remember early fall quarter 2020, just like having this moment where I was like, what is this? Like, what are we doing? Because one of my writing teachers had us make a TikTok intro for our class. Um, And I just (laughs) was like, I'm literally paying all this money to like straight up make a TikTok. I was like, do I get dressed for the TikTok? Do I put makeup on? Um, And I just knew that like from there, it was just kind of like, you know, a disaster waiting to happen. So I don't know. What about you, Sindhu? No, virtual learning definitely sucked. I remember vividly having a Greek mythology class where the teacher made the most horrendous presentations and every week the students would bitch about it. Like it was just, it was, it was unimaginably bad. And I think Sindhu too, you have a unique perspective as someone who started college online. I mean, how do you feel about that? It's, I, I feel terrible. No, it definitely felt like an extended high school, like almost everyone I spoke to, like had the same, well, everyone in my grade had the same sentiment of feeling like they weren't really college students at all. I moved to Ivy like two months ago, like I still introduce myself like by accident a lot as a first year because that's still how I feel. So definitely having my first year online was a bit of a sucky experience. We've done this for a year now. I feel like Zoom has become your routine. Um, But obviously there are major reasons why we moved to being on doing online school and there's you know COVID continues to be bad so I, I think it begs the question should we be going back in person I know we're all ready to but you know Delta's bad yeah I actually just saw this thing and like maybe we need to do a fact check on this but um I'm pretty sure like there's more COVID cases active COVID cases in Santa Barbara County right now than there were last year at the same time which is like a big deal like if you think about it because you know August 2020 was like peak COVID and then I think like there's a sentiment that Delta is kind of like it's there it's lingering and like some vaccinated people are getting it but it's actually a lot more you know active and pervasive than we think it is and I will also say we harsh on online learning a lot there were some I think some things about virtual instruction that are going to stick around regardless that I in fact liked TAs having virtual office hours, I thought was a game changer, like rather than having to walk all the way across campus to go chat for 10 minutes with your TA, I could pop into a Zoom meeting, be out in like five minutes. I loved that because I'm like Miss Efficiency. So like I'm a fan of that. But I do think there are some valuable aspects of online instruction that are going to end up maybe just like integrating into the way we do school now, for now, forever. (laughs) I'm going to disagree because I'm Miss Chatty. And I, I mean, I like going to a TA's office hours for one question and ending up staying there for 15 minutes chatting about life and talking about their wedding that's coming up. You know, like that's the fun part of college is getting to know everyone around you. And and I think that learning from their different perspectives and, and we kind of underestimate how much that shapes our education. I'm actually with Emily on this and there being like certain benefits to having online school. Like obviously I don't have a good frame of reference as to how like college classes were conducted like in person, but I wrote a story about professors transitioning to in-person learning or looking forward to in-person learning. And I heard a lot about a lot of similar sentiments of feeling like online learning made them more adept with like technology and like using gaucho space a lot. So hopefully that translates to the new year. Again, I don't have a frame of reference as to how like professors were with technology before, but it seems like a lot of them felt like more comfortable with using virtual resources. They were bad before. (laughs) 
<laughs> especially English professors. Yeah, I can second that. In exploring the reactions of the university and its students to COVID-19, the Unmasking Isla Vistas team spoke with Esmeralda Quintero Cuvian, who is the external vice president of statewide affairs. And this is actually what she had to say about the response of UCSB's Associated Student Senate to some of the university planning. I'm working with the International Affairs Appointed Officer that is a student representative of the community. So we're going to push through a resolution basically demanding that the UC, specifically UC Office of the President, mandates that individual campuses accommodate to the needs of international students. Our main concern is that if you're an international student who is unable to attend, particularly in person because you can't acquire your visa, then this school cannot offer you a digital course load option because currently the school is arguing that their accreditation, aka their, essentially their license to actually teach us and have our degrees actually mean something, is only for in-person classes. Let's talk a little bit about what are some of the dangers of kind of enforcing an entirely in-person instruction for next year. I mean, just like right off the bat, you could have people, you know, denying symptoms, ignoring signs of, you know, potentially having COVID or just like other sicknesses. Like I know that's a thing, even in elementary school, there's kids that are pushed to go to school when they're sick, potentially infect other people around you. And then if there's not easy, like readily available, you know, opportunities for students to access online learning, I think like that's going to be the first resort is to just kind of go to class, even if you're feeling sick. But I think also there's a danger that if there is online resources and ways to take class from your bedroom, there's definitely going to be a whole swath of students that never come to campus again. 8 a.m.s are going to be a ghost town, I think. As they maybe should be. Yeah. (laughs) Whose brain functions at 8 a.m.? This is interesting because I never thought that about like the accreditation stuff. Mm. I would kind of heard though that some universities were like, oh, if you're international and you can't come in person, then we'll just give you online school, which I feel like for the price they're paying. And also it's just it's just not the same experience. And and if the university isn't going to provide support for them to, to travel to school, I don't know. I mean, I think the accreditation thing is bullshit. (laughs) I think that we are very much still living through a pandemic. And for our generation and a couple years after our generation, this is what college is going to be. And the workforce is going to have to adapt to that. I don't think any of us are not going to get jobs because we went to online classes for two years. I don't think that's a valid enough reason to just not provide a virtual option. The lack of accommodation is definitely frustrating, especially when we did Unmasking Isla Vista and we spoke to international students. Stat drop. I mean, this was just from listening to the interviews that you guys did, but a lot of Asian countries are having really hard times getting visas due to the COVID crisis. You know, students from mainland China, from India are having a ton of trouble. And the kind of lack of embassies means that really only 2,000 visas are being processed per day now. Considering like our class, our student population is wildly more than that. So it makes sense. Like people can't get their hands on visas. They can't get into the country. They can't come to school. And so they shouldn't be expected to show up for in-person classes, especially when that announcement was made so recently and they're expected to get here within a month now it is or like less than a month now. Yeah, definitely. And then you have the situation, too. And we spoke to some some of the international students during these interviews, like you mentioned, where students were kind of like stuck in IV or stuck in their home countries. If they had traveled home around that time, it was right coming out of, you know, winter break. 
And I know someone personally who like has been subleasing an IV for the past summer just because like she couldn't go back home to China. One of the students we spoke to, Tianyi Huang, said that she was going to stay, you know, an IV for an extra year just to get that experience because like international students aren't just coming to, you know, these universities for purely the education, I think. Like, I think there's a lot to be said about, like Melanie was talking about, you know, chatting in lecture halls and like getting those one-on-one interactions with TAs and even like internships and that kind of thing, like different outside experiences that aren't university tied that maybe like providing those, you know, online opportunities would give them the ability to do so. Where do you guys kind of hope to see us heading next year? Like, is there a best option or one that kind of ticks the most boxes? I mean, there's definitely not a perfect option. I'll start there. But I think like just prioritizing, I mean, accommodation for international students is like what's going to be the best thing, because I think they've been not only just like thrown into the mix, you know, dealing with like racism, xenophobia, other, you know, sentiments that Tiani was expressing to us. It's also just like, there's just like a disregard about communication, I think, with international students. And it's like, we'll we'll tell you in a few weeks, or we'll tell you in a few months. Um, And like, these Every, you know, email we get from the university, that is a big life altering thing because it affects like, are these, you know, international students going to come, you know, sublease an IV or this is a whole nother topic that I'm sure we'll get into, but like sign a petition about a lack of housing at UCSB, go live with someone in Goleta. Like these are really, really big decisions that take, you know, months, if not like years to make. And I think that's the tricky thing about this whole situation is that, you know, because COVID changes daily and the situation changes so often, the university can't really give much guidance ahead of time as to what things are going to look like two months from now. And unfortunately, if you're especially for an international student, you know, you got to book flights, you got to get housing, like you said, and those things take time. And, you know, COVID doesn't lend itself to that. <laughs> No, I definitely think the housing crisis complicates a lot of things, especially because we're talking about international students now, but it's difficult for people who are living in state to get housing here. Like there are over a thousand students on the wait list for university housing. And if you go on like Reddit or I recently did a piece on housing on the housing crisis with our other assistant editor, Sumi Shuda, for upcoming print. And we spoke to a lot of students and we had students telling us that they were considering commuting from LA to UCSB over a two-hour drive, which is crazy. And students that were considering houselessness as like a possible reality for the upcoming school year, like really difficult situation. So when you're hearing that about students who are living in California, like the reality for international students is, it's really dire. Yeah, let's talk about the housing crisis, you know, because in this transition to back to in-person learning, one of the most important student needs is housing because we're all now expected to be here as of right now and to come to classes next year. And this is something that a ton of UCSB students are really struggling with. You know, housing has always kind of been a shit show, for lack of a better word, in Isla Vista and on and at UCSB. That's an understatement. And that would be an understatement. And it's even worse now. And so as we kind of barrel towards this upcoming fall quarter, I think it's everywhere. It's on social media. I've seen people posting about it. And we actually wanted to play a short clip and see what Esmeralda had to say on the subject too. I have so little information regarding housing. It leads me to believe that we are going to see an absolutely devastating crisis 
as it continues on into the year. Because not only do we have to accommodate one of the largest classes of incoming freshmen that we've ever had, on top of our second years that are also promised housing, on top of international students that are going to require housing once they arrive either in fall or winter, so an additional wave of residents that we're not used to, while IV is undergoing a shift in which less housing is becoming available as the population grows and there's not enough development to actually consider this. Yeah, I mean, I think there are just a number of factors that are contributing to the housing crisis. There's, you know, people wanting a little bit more room because they're doing their classes from home and they're working from home and because of COVID and density is bad for COVID. There's, you know, there's obviously an, an influx of new, the freshman classes is, is way larger this year because people deferred and they ex- over accepted to try and make up some of the money that has been lost during COVID. So I think that, you know, that's going to be an ongoing struggle throughout this whole year. Yeah, I think like just right off the bat too, hearing that from Esmeralda, we conducted that interview like early July. And so this was like a prediction of, you know, the upcoming housing crisis, which now like late August we're seeing that we're talking about. And like that was, you know, predictable, but it is kind of surreal to like hear that back now. Um, I think like what you were saying, Melanie, is really true. There's a lot of accommodation in terms of people like wanting their own space and living in singles um, and honestly, maybe like anticipating a return to in-person learning with the rise of the Delta variant. Like, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And I think like people are trying to kind of gear themselves for that. So they are paying more for singles honestly paying like outrageous prices for singles and IV. You're telling me. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I mean, I think there's also a lot of, you know, like freshmen moving into IV rather than the dorms because like they were doing that during uh, the school year last year just to get into IV and be in the area. So even though UCSB is opening the dorms at full capacity with triples, which is a whole thing in itself, like what happens if there's an outbreak? But even though UCSB is providing that housing option, I don't think all the freshmen want to take it because they do want that IV experience. Totally. I mean, and there's like a physical constraint to this. IV is only so big physically and there's not that much room left to develop larger buildings for housing. So I think in the you know next five, 10 years, we're going to see what the solution is because there's, there's got to be a, a fix to this eventually. I know, Sindhu, you mentioned that you did this, you did a story on it, and I just, I'd be curious, like, what's kind of the dialogue around it right now? Like, how are people feeling? Like, what's the student response kind of been? Student response has been primarily a lot of frustration, which I think we can all foresee. There are students who have either, there are students who have secured housing, but due to the housing crisis have, like, been on, like, we spoke to one student who was on the hook for two leases because she, there was, like, some issue in communication with the landlord, and she was paying outrageous amounts of money, but even then, she was like, at least I have housing. Yeah. Like, people in, like, the worst situations are still finding the best, and to be quite honest, that's also how I'm feeling. I moved in two months ago, and I did not feel super great about my apartment moving in, but, like, I'm in the same situation as in, like, at least I have housing. At least I'm living here. Was there a petition that went around? Like, was that a thing I heard about? There was a petition. It currently has over 1,000, I want to say over over 1,300 signatures. And 
that's something that I've seen a lot of people rallying around on social media, just trying to get better communication from the university. The petition essentially puts forward a possible solution of contacting local hotels and negotiating a possible like temporal like housing situation for students, which other universities have done in the past, but the university hasn't said anything regarding that quite yet or given any like other than converting doubles into triples, given any other solution. Although there was a slightly controversial email sent out about from the university to professors and like other members of the campus community asking them to rent out rooms in their homes to possible students. So just to give a sense of how bad the crisis is I right I mean, now. that's terrible. If you're a student who's coming to UCSB, I mean, you're a freshman coming here for the first time, I highly doubt that your ideal situation yeah. is living in some professor's garage in the middle of Goleta. Like that is so disconnected from the experience of going to school at UCSB. I, I can't even imagine that any students would really see that as a real solution but I, I guess that shows how dire the situation is yeah no I mean talk about like online learning providing a disconnected experience it's like being in Goleta is like it, I mean it's okay if you can have a car I guess but a lot of students who don't have a car so that's the whole you know bus situation and all of that I think just like being like well at least you're in Santa Barbara or Goleta like Isla Vista you know is the heart of where all the students are and like that's where they want to be but the you know hotel solution too just like makes you like cringe because it's like no one wants to go live in a packed hotel and then like people in a hotel don't want to be with a bunch of you know university students either so I mean I know that like the situation is so dire but I think UCSB was supposed to like cap its enrollment a few years back and they didn't do that and I think that's what is contributing to this as well. Yeah I think a real through line that I keep hearing is just that like as students were kind of frustrated with the lack of concrete and solid response from the university, and it's really disheartening to kind of pay this much intuition and to go here after a year of virtual classes that maybe didn't live up to what we all thought the college experience was going to be, and now to just not get the support that people really need, especially considering we're all expected to go back in person. Sorry to interrupt. And, and I can't imagine how much that, uh, you know, frustration amplifies when you're paying the tuition that international students and out-of-state people pay. <laughs> totally. I think Esmeralda sums it up really nicely with this clip. I think the UC has also just been playing the game of we'll figure it out when we get there rather than thinking ahead, really being considerate with its approach. And lastly, I'm just tired of seeing the UC get away with this. It's so exhausting to watch this institution take little action and not really want to defend the people that make up the institution. I think that one example that stands out to me, I know we talk, we keep talking about print, but we are in the midst of putting together the Daily Nexus. I'm going to do a shameless plug. Putting together the Daily Nexus's summer print edition, which gets mailed home to all the new freshmen. One of the stories focuses on the development of a new building on campus and how there was a plan that could have allowed the bike path that students use all the time to continue to be there. And they went with the plan that didn't. And I think that really shows that the disconnect between the university and the students. I think exhausting is such a good word that Esmeralda uses. It just feels like at every possible turn that the university could choose to support its students. It purposefully seems to be choosing the opposite to that. And it feels, as students, it feels horrible because 
you know, you want to go to a college that wants you to go there. And it feels like it does like it feels like UCSB does not want me here for so many different reasons right now. Yeah, I think like tort like the housing thing at the end, not the end of the pandemic, but after a year of online learning, it's like, well, here's this big, you know, dilemma in case you didn't have enough, like after, you know, fearing for your health and life for the past year and making TikToks for your classes and everything. Like, I think that just goes to show it's like, didn't you have, you know, a year to think about this and like plan it out? I don't know. I just think like exhausting is a good word. And obviously I know like these, there's not easy solutions, right? For the university. Like, like you said, Melanie, these things are changing every day and they can't communicate like what it's going to be like in a year. But it has to be a, there has to be something a little better than what we're getting right now. No, absolutely. One of the students that um, Asumi and I spoke to for our housing crisis piece described the limbo of not having housing as being this like strange liminal space. And it's very clear that a lot of students feel like they're kind of stranded in that liminal space and to have such like a such little communication and such little guidance like from the university to rely on has been very frustrating for a lot of students. Yeah, I mean, I think something to also bring out about Isla Vista is that, like, we are in a medical and a food desert in Isla Vista. Like, we rely on cottage for all of our hospital medication needs, and we already have this reputation at cottage of being, like, drunk Isla Vista students. And so, like, the amount, the care that we get there is sometimes impacted by that bias, and, like, sometimes that's our only option. We don't have good grocery stores in Isla Vista. We are very much on our own (laughs) Um, and you would expect the university to step up in providing more risk like more help there and instead it feels like it's the opposite for these you know it's a transition from being kids to adults and it's totally not aided at all (laughs) by the university it feels like we're shoved into it almost as much as I love shopping at the food co-op the price tags are just terrible (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, not to go off on a tangent, but definitely, like, I think there's something to be said about, like, the location of Isla Vista, right? And, like, the fact that we don't have a CVS, for example, in Isla Vista, where you can go get your birth control if you need to. Like, I remember as a freshman without a car, I was dealing with a lot of health issues, like, at the time, and it was just such a stressor, like, trying to find a doctor's appointment and find a ride to the doctor's appointment. And I think, like, there's you know you add like a global pandemic into that and yes student health did a really good job you know with providing testing and everything and i'm super grateful for that but i think there's a lot of you know factors that come with just like isla vista's isolation that are really daunting and scary for students that maybe aren't the same in like every college town because you know if you are in like a college town that's in a city you do have access to those resources you can walk places isla vista is like very isolated sometimes. No, absolutely. And coming here as, I almost said first year, as a second year who hasn't been on campus and um, none of me and none of my roommates have a car has definitely been a bit of a struggle because the reality is you can't bus every single place all the time. It gets tiring. And recently I did have someone I knew like had kind of a medical emergency and she just had to go home. Like there was no way that she could just stay here and live here for like the next month with how our situation was so it's pretty isolated and I think that that is such a normal response for students is to go home when things get bad and and it shouldn't have to be that way this is our home and I think that um 
Yeah, it's such a privilege to be able to go home even. Like, I live in state. I live in L.A. I can go home. I'll be home in an hour and a half. Some of my roommates are from the Bay. That's a five-hour, six-hour drive. They can't go home if they need to, you know. It's like a whole planned trip. And that's that's still in California, you know. Some people have to catch flights, and that's just not a reality. And we were talking about international students, and that's even not more of not a reality. So Mm -hmm. definitely. Yes, circling back to the, like, going home is a privilege, like, that is so true and so important to talk about, I think, because, like, when COVID hit, it was like, bye, everyone, go home. Here's an email saying that you should go home. We are suddenly canceling classes. And I know, like, for me, I was in San Raf residence hall at the time, so I did get a full housing reimbursement for the quarter, and we were just counting our blessings with blessings with that because all of our friends, you know, were stuck in a lease, Um, I'm sure like some people can attest to that, Um, trying to get out of a lease or like didn't have a home to go back to because they had been living in IV for the past, you know, three, four years. And this is their home now. Maybe they don't have like a great, you know, relationship with their family and they can't just go home and like travel. Um, There was also fear that like the, the freeways would get shut down. This was when everything was so chaotic. And then, you know, like we said, international students too, like that is a full several day traveling situation airports closed at some point i one of my roommates in my freshman year when everything happened was an international student from china and i remember her and her friends just like desperately trying to book a flight and then being like we don't even know if the airport's gonna still be open tomorrow so it was like a whole nother level of stress I don't think the response was, it could have been so much better. I think there was one example of like where it could have been better with the RAs. Like, I don't know if there's been any discussion on that, but like the RAs are resident assistants if anyone needs that. Um, But I know that they were basically promised a job. I mean, if they had gotten the job for, you know, the academic year and then it was like all of a sudden they were told that their job would be you know, taken away for the year, obviously, because like housing was shut down. But that's like, you're not only taking someone out of a job in that situation, you're taking a student, which is like a big important factor, because like, basic needs should not be at the forefront of like what students are focusing on, right? So you're taking a student away from housing, away from a job and away from food access. So that's like completely debilitating them. And I know that there was a petition, again, going around, like, for the RAs to get, you know, some compensation for this last-minute decision. Um, And, like, again, it is, you know, something that does have to, like, roll with the punches of COVID. Like, the university couldn't have predicted that, but still being kind of like, sorry, you're on your own um, was very frustrating. Yeah. And I think all the frustration really boils down to the fact that this is a huge university that is funded by the state that has the resources to support its students. Like us alone cannot band together and do the things that a big institution like UCSB can do. And I think that that's why we're putting this on them. That's why we think that the university has the responsibility and and should be supporting students, especially in a time of crisis. I'm educated in my shitting on the university and I'm doing it respectfully, but I think I'm valid in my shitting on the university. And I think that's a lot of it's it's a lot of the discourse that I've been hearing lately is that people are just frustrated at the end of the day. And I think we're allowed to feel frustrated and we're allowed to feel angry, but You know, I guess, you know, it's encouraging to hear that the Senate is pushing things through that are to help international students and to help, you know, UCSB students deal with this next year. And so that's heartening to remember. And I think the more petitions we can sign and the more organization we can do in Isla Vista, because we're the people living there, um, 
the easier we'll get through this next year so yeah hopefully we can all find a way I think to just I mean this is so hard to say but like we all gotta learn too we're here to be students and so like through this frustration with the university we still have to be going to classes and 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 hopefully people will get something out of there it's so easy to forget that we have to go to school amidst all of this like truly like we have to go do another year of school I wanted to thank Ashley and Sindhu so much for chatting with us today. I think this was great and shitting respectfully on the university. Do better, UCSB. Yeah, Yeah, thank you guys. Thank (laughs) you so much. This was so fun. And like Sindhu and I have been working together on, you know, this episode and other episodes too with unmasking and it's super fun. I took her to the to Trader Joe's the other day. We had a really good time. I was gonna say Sindhu, if you need a Joe's. Y'all are so sweet. It's on the record now. Any of our hot off 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 the pod listeners, I have a minivan. I will drive us all (laughs) to Trader Joe's. Anything we need. Anything for our listeners. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you you for having us. Special thank yous to our guests, Asumi, Jennifer, Ashley, and Sindhu for having some amazing conversations with us on this episode. And thank you to our producers, as always, Tony Schindler-Ruberg and Sid Hopped. Stay hot, guys.